Well, good morning, everybody. Are you as happy as you look? You look wonderful. And you know what? I got to tell you, because something happened over the two weeks when we've been gone to Palau, and I'm going to put pictures of Palau up in just a second here. But, uh, you know, the, the protocols have been changed. Not wearing masks. If you want to wear a mask, you may wear a mask, of course. And you do so for your safety and for the protection of others. But we're not, we're not distancing. And I saw all these young families sitting over here as I was going around greeting and everybody just yakking to everybody. And I said, you know what? This is what church is. You know, the pandemic did a number on us. Put these pews in between. You know, oh, you got to keep the space. And, oh, don't get too close. And oh, don't be too happy. <laughs> but we can be happy now. It says, goodbye, pandemic. Hello, refugees. Oh, man. Isn't that life on the planet now? You leave one crisis and you go to the next. I just want to tell you that before Jesus comes, these will get even faster. I'm just saying. But we don't, let, we don't have to be discouraged about it. It's spring break. Students are gone, but you're here, and I'm happy you are. God bless you. So Palau. By the way, speaking of Palau, we just got back uh, this week. 14 time zones we had to cross to get there, and 14 time zones we had to cross back over to get back home. So uh, if I drift asleep uh, in the middle of this, you'll understand. I actually fell asleep while I was writing this on Thursday. just fell. Suddenly woke up. Uh, But uh, speaking of Palau, thank you for whoever it was that ordered the snow so that we'd have a little reminder that while we were in all that sunshine, Michigan was still Michigan. Just a beautiful morning to awaken to. I got nine pictures, all right? I wish I had 90. Well, I got more than 90. But I'm going to show you nine. And the nine help kind of encapsulate what we, what we were doing. And I'm going to just tell you before I show one picture, it's because of your praying that we can give this report. It's a beautiful report. You're going to see God's fingerprints all over it. But you were praying. God bless you. Thank you for that. Beautiful, iconic Palau. This, is, this, this, this isn't a postcard. Richard Park, who was part of our team, our media director, he went with us. I'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, he took this. These are the iconic rock islands, 70 of them, kind of in a circle. And these are three of them right there. It's just beautiful. All over the world, people go to Palau. You know why? Because it's glorious diving. Some of our group were skin divers. So we had to have five days of quarantine. When we went, the government says not a, not a COVID germ will come off of that plane until we've checked you out after the five days. So don't hang around a lot of people. You can hang around each other. And we were at the hotel, you know, and that. But uh, just stay low. In fact, one of our guys, they, at the airport, they give you a little green. You get a green wrist tag, plastic. Don't take this off. Penalty. Huge penalty with the government. You have to keep this on. It means you're not uh, through quarantine yet. One of our guys said, I'm just going to go out and buy a little something at the store. The clerk saw it immediately. She said, you can't, you can't buy a thing here. Now leave. And so he had to go home. So much for the green. We call him the mark of the beast to have to wear these things on, uh, on Palau. Uh, but so we had these five days where we couldn't do anything. We got to the convention center. I'm going to show you that. Uh, to do some work, 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 work to get it ready for the big premiere, world premiere of Return to Palau. Dramatic documentary. Don't let me forget to tell you when we're going to be showing it in three weeks. Don't let me forget it. If I don't tell you, then just say, hey, Dwight, let me know. So we had time to go. Beautiful. Snorkeling. We had to. Had to take advantage of the sunshine. And it was beautiful. Here's picture number two. And this is, by the way, I'm going to show you the background first. Palau National Gymnasium. 
You'll see the inside of it in the next slide. That's where we, the big convention center where we had the world premiere. And these are, these are uh, five wonderful people. I'll start from the uh, right and move to the left. You've got uh, Lauren and Ann Hamill. Ann is a psychologist, all right? These, these are both members. And they were here in first service. Uh, but Ann is a psychologist. And when Melissa, at the age of 10, lost her mother, father, and older brother, they were murdered while Melissa's in the house. And she was somehow spared. Melissa, at the age of 10, the, the greatest trauma you could ever experience in your life. The general conference got immediately a hold of a psychologist. Ann Hamill said, get on a plane. Get over to this little girl and just be there for her. Get her through the first stages. Trauma isn't something you get over. Not right away. So anyway, she was... Ann was the leader of this. It was her idea to put a documentary together. And uh, this is her daughter-in-law. This is Michelle Hamill. And Michelle took three years to produce this documentary. It is powerful. It's already won awards. It's going through the uh, film festivals now. And it, I'm certain it'll win more awards. It's been nominated already. So return to Palau. And this is, of course, uh, Melissa DePaiva Gibson. Uh, they're both at Southwestern University. He's a pastor on the university uh, church team. And she teaches nursing. She's like 28 years old, and she teaches nursing at the university. So a, a wonderful team. And these are just the kind of the, the uh, ones standing in front of the sign when we took the picture, but the great people. Okay, so here's inside the building. Do you know what SRO stands for? SRO. Devin, you've got it both services. I think you're the only one that has it, too. You let me know. SRO, standing room only. And that's what it was. You're looking at it. The president of Palau, whom I'll introduce in a moment, the president of Palau said this is, this is the largest gathering under a roof in the history of Palau, 1,500-plus people. Now, this is, this is before, the, uh, before the documentary is going to be shown. You see, see me sitting right here by this palm tree, whatever it is. When I got, so after the lights come back on, and I'm going to go up and say a few words because that's what they wanted me to do. When, I, when the lights came back on, there were people sitting all over here. They just kept letting them in all the way through. This was known all over the island. Uh, Palau is an archipelago of islands, over 500 islands, but Karor is on the, uh, not the biggest island, but uh, it's the dominant island in terms of populace. Everybody had heard about Return to Palau. Palau owned, owned this story. For their culture, it was a story of shame. How could this ever have happened in our paradise? They've lived with that for 20 years. But God showed them the rest of the story, and it was a, it was a, it was a, glorious uh, story. By the way, it ended up on the newspaper. Cover of the newspaper. The president gave a press conference. He said, do I have a scripture and a prayer at the press conference? I said, man, I, I, I said to him at the press conference, I wish every world leader would have scripture and prayer before a press conference. Our press conferences would be a lot more civil in America, I have a feeling. Anyway, so here we are. Success at in every standard you use to measure it because you were praying. Praise God. Here's back behind the big black curtain up front. This is our friend Richard Park, media director, pioneer. He's up in the control room right now. I am so grateful that uh, we had the prescience to invite Richard along. We thought somebody from the GC was coming. I'm so glad it ended up being Richard. And we would not have had the, the premiere we had. He's running everything. I mean, they had little, you know, little local church PA booth. That was it. Had we not brought this equipment... And Richard had been the, the, the professional that was helping run the live stream. Some of you watched it live stream, I know, because you've told me. Uh, 
We couldn't have done it. And by the way, Richard left Gadiel here. We were going to take Gadiel, who's also on our media team, but because of his visa, he's really getting close to what you want when you have a visa to come to the U.S. We said, no, he can't risk it. If he leaves the country, there's a chance he wouldn't get back in. And so, Gadiel, you stay here. And he did a great two Sabbaths with Pastor Rodley preaching. Um, so, the, the fun part for, for me, my assignment was after the world premiere to take the four next sessions three in the evening and one on a, uh, a, a Sabbath morning, and uh, deal, with, de- deal with forgiveness. But my fun part was, besides the, the teaching forgiveness, was to do interviews with people who were boots on the ground when this tragedy happened. That here are two presidents of the, of the nation. You have, uh, you have the former president, I call him President Tommy, do best with uh, just first names, President Tommy, and this is the present president right here. And I got to interview them the first night of the uh, ongoing series, and his heart was broken when the tragedy happened. He knew little 10-year-old Melissa. Now he meets her as his grown woman. His heart was broken. He was running the construction company from whence came the murderer. Oh, you're going to have to hear that story. Don't miss. Have I given you yet when the, when the documentary is going to be seen? Remind me not to quit without giving you that. All right? So... First night, I got to interview the two presidents. Second night, I got to interview the queen, Bilun. It means queen. Bilun, Bilun Gloria Sali. She was a dignified queen. I'm going to show you a picture uh, right after this. Dignified. Uh, she just had a regal bearing. Because they have, the, they are, they have a culture called, that is matrilineal. That means through the woman, the uh, line, the royal line is drawn. So... Men are great, but it's through the women that the, uh, the lineage is established. And so she, she was very dear friends with the DePaiva family, came to love them, and then they're murdered. It, it just, uh, the whole item was just, was just devastated. Uh, here, here we are in her house, and she's so regal. Look at her. And here are a few of the team. You recognize some faces here, uh, but with the queen. It's, just, it's like a museum. She had pictures up and shells and collections from the deep sea. My, oh, my. God bless her. So every night uh, subsequent to the uh, documentary, what's our theme? Forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. 87% of Palau's Christians. So we, it really was the perfect place to do this because they're very open to, to uh, considering the spiritual undergirding for, for uh, forgiveness. This is my last slide, and here's the president, President Sarango Phipps, Jr., and there's Melissa. There is Michael. I just want to say a word about uh, President Phipps. Whips, I should say. Uh, he's a president. He flew over to Guam to welcome us and to take us back on United. And as we're going on, somebody said, hey, see those two guys? The Secret Service. Whenever he steps onto American territory as a head of state, and he's the head of a state, he's a nation leader, Government of the United States says we'll provide a Secret Service uh, cover for you if you want it. He can turn it down, and he does oftentimes. So when he, when he uh, took us out uh, during that quarantine time, a couple of security are with him in the boat going to the Rock Islands. He's a member of the local Seventh-day Adventist Church in Karoa, a volunteer, volunteer in the church. We're into our volunteer engagement committee time where we'll be making phone calls to you, and you're, you're going to find a way to say yes. I know you will. I just want you to remember that when you get that invitation, the president of a nation also says yes. 
and says, I, I have the time. I can, I can serve my church. Yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, what happened at the very end was he presented to Melissa this plaque declaring her the possessor of an honorary citizenship in the Republic of Palau. And that place just went to a standing ovation. They caught the, she, she's their girl. The high chief got up and he said, listen, Melissa, you, you can go back to your other country, but don't forget, you're really from Palau. Yeah, it's just a beautiful story. You'll see how, how broken the story was to become beautiful. And thank you for reminding me about when to, to uh, say w when it's going to be shown. Easter Sabbath, April 16th. Easter Sabbath. Just mark it down up here. Easter Sabbath, HPAC, Howard Performing Arts Center, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, Melissa will be there and Michael. And we'll have a chance to chat with them after the documentary. So don't miss it. Bring your friends. I'm telling you, we're going to run out of space. So you have to get there early. It's the premiere. It's being premiered in Keene before they come here. So God is good, and we praise him. But you were praying. That's the deal. You were praying, and I thank you. On behalf of the whole team, thank you. You say, Dwight, did, uh, did you take any, call for any decisions during your, your lectures? I sure did. Ended every, every lecture with an invitation card, went down the, down the rows, down the rows. I just texted the, uh, on WhatsApp the pastor there yesterday evening. I said, yo, Danny, Pastor Danny, Danny Velez. His cousin was in first church, I find out. Uh, I said, what were the, what were the numbers? He, he shot me a text back and just looked at it before first service. Uh, praise God, 40 decisions for baptism. And 60 decisions to study the Bible. Yeah. Danny wrote a series of four studies on just on the theme forgiveness. And he's been handing those out, and the 60 people will be studying with him. And by the way, this was open to all churches. All pastors were there. We had choir, Catholic church sang at the last uh, Saturday night meeting, provided the music. It was a beautiful experience. It was island-wide, and it needed to be that way. And God blessed. So thank you. I got something else I want to share with you, though. I'm, I'm, um, I'm hoping you'll get this, but I want to pray before we get into it. So let's pray right now. Father, thank you for what you did in Palau. We, we, we praise you for it. It's, it's your story, and what you begin, you finish, Philippians 1.6. So we're asking you to finish what you started, those seeds that were planted. You just stay on that island as you have a way of doing. And here we are back in snowy Michigan. We're glad to be alive. Your will goes on here as well. So take these moments. Speak to ours, our minds and our hearts. At the foot of the cross, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want you to do right now is I want you to overhear an embarrassing conversation. This is going to be embarrassing. It's like when you're in a group and they're having this big discussion and you know, everybody's piping up, hey, I got something to say. You know how you, you are. You want to finally say something and you're so concentrating on what you're about to say that you miss what just happened before you and it's just like total disconnect. This is embarrassing. They were not listening. They are so eager to tell what they've got to tell. You see, a contribution to the group discussion. But out of that embarrassment, something very significant for you and me. So let's go. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. Who's they? Be Jesus and the Twelve and, and, and a crowd that always followed wherever Jesus went. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. So you have Jesus, then the disciples, and then the followers. They're coming up from behind. 
and they are astonished. They are afraid. You know, there's sometimes when you see a friend of yours, somebody you know and love, and their face has changed. It could be the pallor of the face, the countenance. It could be a gray color. I've seen this. The face has actually changed. Something's going on in the head of Jesus. They have no idea what it is. But his face has changed. Some of them are afraid. Like, this is kind of, this is spooky. Finally, Jesus stops, realizes what's, what's going on in the circle. So he takes the 12 aside. He says, hey, fellas, come on here. This is just the 12 now. And he tells them what was going to happen to him. He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. This is the third time he has told them in the Gospels. This time he will use a word he never has used before, and the word is crucify. He's never disclosed the manner of his impending death. So he gets them aside, and here he goes. We are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus says. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. We're talking about the hierarchy. The religious hierarchy are going to do this. Keep reading. They will condemn him to death, the Son of Man, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, the pagans, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. In Matthew's version, almost identical, except the word kill is crucify. Matthew was in that circle. Mark wasn't. First time Jesus discloses. And here is, here is what is so, so stunning, the temerity, the temerity of what happens next. Because I'll tell you, for all 12, it just go in one ear and out the other. Nothing about the crucifixion do they hear. Nothing about the resurrection do they hear. It's just gone. And for two of them, this is the embarrassing moment. They have been working so hard on a speech that they're going to give to the master. They've been waiting. Is this our time? This is our time. Jesus says, I have a little announcement to make. They listen to the announcement and do not hear a word. He's just talked about his public execution. They want to talk about their private and personal elevation. They want to talk elevation. He's thinking execution. Something is a huge disconnect here. We do the same. We do the same to God. Disconnect. We never got a thing. So they come up to Jesus. Then James and John, God bless them. Everybody knows the sons of thunder. (laughs) These are the fisher boys. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus. And by the way, in Matthew and Mark, the word is then. It's put up right next to Jesus' disclosure of this barbaric ending to his life. Oh, I'll rise again. Right then. Then. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's like little kids with their parent. Hey, will you do anything, Daddy, that I ask? We want you to. Not a word about what. We just want you to do whatever we ask. Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Tell me. They said, all right. Let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's what we want. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. No. The, 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 the chutzpah. Now, Matthew says, mama, mama's with the boys. So they're hiding behind mama's skirts. See, they're using mother as a front, but it's the boys pulling the whole thing off. We want the top two positions. The temerity, the chutzpah. How could you possibly speak about elevation, exaltation at this moment? You know, we don't feel it. We don't feel, we don't feel this 
kind of a fingernails on a blackboard moment to us. Number one, because most of us don't know what a blackboard is. And number two, because we are steeped in the very same culture that James and John have come from. We are tone deaf by a culture that considers self-promoting normal. America's got talent. Who are the people to go on? Well, I got something for you, America. Take a look at me. We got these reality shows coming out our, our ears. That's what we do. It's what politics is all about, self-promotion. It's what sports is all about. It's what entertainment is all about. Jesus says, I can't believe it. We live in the same culture of self-promotion, which is the norm today. You got a problem with that, Dwight? I mean, come on. This is what we do. We do it in the church. We do it outside of the church. No, I don't have a problem. Jesus has a huge problem with it. Now, notice how Jesus responds. I'll read it again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. They reply, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Yep, we can, they answered. And guess what? They will. The first martyr of the 12 is James Boy. The last of the Mohegans to survive is John Boy be the last to die. Yeah, we'll do it. Jesus says, guess what? Yep, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the turn, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant. Shoot nails. They're so sputtering mad. They're ticked off with James and John. And Jesus says, this is teaching moment time. Guys, come on. Come on. Stop. And he calls them together, and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, he might as well have said pagans, because that's what Gentile means, pagans. Those who are rulers of the pagans lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus says, don't you know the culture you live in? Don't you know the media's obsession in your culture with the moneyed and the popular and the famous and the rich and the powerful? I'm talking about the Bill Gates, Jesus says. I'm talking about the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Jeff Bezos, the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musks, the Warren Buffetts, the LeBron James, and God bless her, the Kim Kardashians. Don't you know that you're in a, that, that, that these titans of, of the industry, these titans of commerce, these titans of entertainment and sports, don't you know they rule over us? They look down on us. Don't you know that about your culture? But it's not to be that way for you. That's my point, boys. You getting that? We don't live that way. He goes on, not so with you, verse 43. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. What is up with that? I like the way Frederick Dale Bruner renders these words with his own translation of the Greek. Uh, This is for for Matthew, but the words are almost identical. So this is how he puts it. Jesus speaking here. Whoever in your group wants to be great must must become the table waiter. By the way, the word there is diakonos, means must become a deacon. You want to be great? You become a deacon. You serve. 
Whoever in your group wants to be great must become the table waiter for all the rest of you. And whoever in your group wants to be first must become the slave. That's the actual Greek word. It's a slave. You know, with chains, you become a slave. You want to be great? You become a slave. You want to be cool and at the top of the pack, you go to the bottom of the pack. You become the servant. You can't miss it. Unmistakable. We get it. Just like the Son of Man, Jesus says, be like me. He did not come to be waited on, but to wait on and to give up his life as a ransom for all the rest. That word ransom, ooh, that's a heavy word. I like the way uh, uh, Frederick Dale Bruner uh, capitalizes it. The Son of Man becomes a ransom, substitution. Somebody's taking my place. Somebody's paying my penalty. Somebody's purchasing my my freedom. I love the way A. A. Bonar renders this. This is this is a keepable line. He who did nothing wrong was condemned for everything, so that we who have done everything wrong may be condemned for nothing. Isn't that good? Boy, that's a collectible right there. I'll leave it on the screen for you. He who did nothing wrong was condemned for everything, so that we who have done everything wrong may be condemned for nothing. Ransom. Substitution. Taking my place. Do you know what? Mark 10.45 is the clearest self-expression Jesus ever renders about what his sacrifice is all about. And he uses the word ransom. Doesn't explain it. Just ransom. I'm going to to trade places with you. I will die so that you live. I will die forever so that you might live forever. I will exchange places. Nowhere is it said, who who gets the ransom? Who is the ransom paid paid to? Paul will use it in uh, Timothy, but nobody explains it. It just says it's a ransom. Is it a ransom payment to God? That doesn't make sense. Is it a ransom payment to the devil? Deliver us all. So then to whom is the ransom offered? The Bible never says He dies a ransom, Jesus says. That's me. In fact, this is not a strange word. The Greek words are actually found here in Psalm 47. Look at this. This is is something. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. I can't be a ransom for you. I can't be a ransom for you. How could I? Somebody will, but not us. Keep reading. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. How could you pay a ransom for the human race so that they should live on forever and not see decay? Only one being in the universe could make that payment, and that's our Lord Jesus. We come to the foot of the cross right now where he makes that ransom, but I don't want to get to that ransom without considering one more notion, a little nuance here, and I hope you see it. This will, this will need you thinking now. It can't have you, your mind can't be wandering now. You're going to have to zero in on this now, whether you're in the balcony or on the front row here. You need to get this. Listen to this. What is so provocative is that Jesus uses his death. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for you. I'll be crucified. Jesus uses his death as the basis for his appeal to you and me to embrace the life of serving. He will use his death as that basis. Watch this. Frederick Dale Bruner again on the screen. So, so seriously does Jesus take the way we work. What do you do for a living? A lot of you have a job. What do you do for your living? Whatever it is, 
So seriously does Jesus take the way we work that he uses his death to motivate it. Keep reading. Jesus' doctrine of vocation. Let me just tell you what this word means. It means your calling. Okay, so I'm looking into the audience. Oh, you have a calling as a nurse. That's good. I like nurses. I'm married to one. Oh, you got a, you got, you got a, you're, you're a, an accountant. I see that. Retired accountant. Another accountant right there. Ooh, professor, professor. That's your vocation. It's what you do. It's your calling. It's not your job. Vocation is not job. Vocation is your calling. My calling is I only know how to do one thing. It's the pastor to preach. That's it. It doesn't matter where you go. That's still your calling. Your calling is not this today and something else tomorrow. You have one calling. It's what you're doing. Right now, your calling is to be a mother. That's a, that's a wonderful vocation, by the way. Don't ever apologize for that. That's one of the greatest vocations on earth. Jesus' doctrine of calling is built on no less a foundation than Jesus' atonement itself. It's based upon his death and the manner of his death. Now, keep reading one more line. This is the supreme service Jesus did for the universe. And on the foundation of this, Jesus calls disciples to turn their work from careerism to service. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I read this this last week, I came across that word careerism, and I said, my, 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 I do not, I've never heard that word before in my life. Have you ever heard of careerism? No, you haven't either. Admit it. But it's, it's all over the Internet. So I go into the Internet, and sure enough, let's get a definition. Miriam Webster, on the Internet, careerism is the policy or practice of advancing one's career often at the cost of one's integrity. Ooh, that's not, that's not something you want. That's negative. It's not a good thing, apparently, careerism. In other words, what, I, what, what, what do I have scribbled down here? In other words, using your career to advance your ambitions. Yeah, this is my career right now. Because this gets me up the ladder. I got to keep moving up the ladder. Some of you are still chasing that dream. <laughs> I know you are. That's careerism. I don't care what it takes. I'm going up the ladder. Oof. Wikipedia nuances it just a little differently. Careerism is the propensity to advancement, power, and prestige outside of work performance. So it has nothing to do with your work performance. And by the way, let's not make a mistake here, a wrong conclusion. Is it okay to keep growing and becoming better and better at what I do, what you do? Of course it's okay. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to get better and better and better. But this problem is I want to get better so that I get higher. I want to get better so that I get wealthier. I want to get better so that I get smarter than all the others. I want to get better so that I'm up here. That's careerism. You're using. Some of you are even using your calling to advance your Peter, your, your James and John ambition to be numero uno at last. Oh, wow. There's nothing wrong with growing, but if our growing if, 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 if our growing is driven by our longing to climb higher than the rest, then it's wrong. It's careerism. Teacher, the two of us have a request. Can he and I be on either side of you at the top? Please. It's wrong. That's careerism. There's nothing more than that. I scribbled down. I woke up early this morning, thanks to the time zones. 
And I scribbled down something. I need to share this with you. Careerism is hanging on to position to validate my calling. Everybody has a calling here, but some of you are hanging on to the position you're in right now to validate your calling. Everybody will know this is my calling if I keep this position. If I, if I lose this position, I lose my, my sense of calling. That's wrong. It's not true. That's what careerism does. Uh, but vocation is the calling by which I serve humanity in my God-designated way. I pursue my calling in order to activate my serving. Let me give you one more. Careerism is positional. I seek, I seek position to discover or affirm my calling. No, my friend, if you've got the calling, it doesn't matter where you serve on this planet. The calling is still yours. You haven't lost it. You don't have to change jobs just to advance the recognition of your calling. You already got it. Hang on to it. Careerism would, would drive you crazy because you never make it. You never actually make it. Calling, if careerism is, is uh, positional, calling is personal. Yeah. I will pursue my divine calling wherever God puts me, irrespective of my position. I'm, I'm going to just use myself as an example. I don't talk about myself much, as you already know. But look, I mentioned it a moment ago. I, I only know how to do one thing. Preach and pastor. That's it. I mean, it's all the same gift. That's all I know how to do. And I report to the Michigan Conference. And if tomorrow the Michigan Conference says, you know, Dwight, thank you. Been great. We're moving you. Entirely up to them. We're going to move you to a church about 50 miles down the road, 30 members. I'll move. Why? Because I have a calling. My calling is not dependent on where it's exercised. It's just dependent on me being faithful to my calling and serve. And if it's 30 people, 30 people. Who cares? Do you see the difference? James and John said, no, 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 no. We got to be here. Numero uno, numero dos, or whatever, you, however you say second. No, Jesus said, you don't have to be there. No, 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 boys. You don't have to. You want to be like me. You serve. I'm going to ask you to lay down your life for me. That's what you do. You're an accountant. You're a plumber. You're a builder. Good for you. That's my calling for you. I've always wanted you to do that. Just serve me. Use where you're at now to open the door to serve humanity. That's it. It's not about position. We live in a university where position means a lot. There's tenured positions. There are untenured positions. Everybody's sensitive to tenure. You know, where are you in this little moving up the ladder? No, Jesus says, I don't do it that way. I'm not, I'm not complaining. But he says, I don't work that way. Now, you're a doctor in a, in, a, in a hospital. There has to be somebody that's ultimately responsible for the hospital, right? And somebody among the uh, neurologists, and there's a little pecking order there, right? Yeah, but that's okay. You're not doing what you do to affirm yourself or to get recognized. Now, that's careerism. Jesus says, just lay your life down. That's it. That's it. How did Jesus put it? The Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. As far as I know, that, that call to service, and by the way, that's the bullseye for this little springtime series we begin right now. That's the bullseye. For the next few Sabbaths, we'll go to that bullseye of service. We've been pinned down by this crazy pandemic. Some of us have been pinned down. I met people today in the first service. This is the first time we've been in church in two years. They're not elderly people either. We've been pinned down. We've been locked down. It's time we break the shackles and step out into service again. We need you. This church needs you. God needs you. And in following Jesus, you will find your deepest satisfaction and your truest fulfillment. Because you already have the calling. Just live with your calling. You'll live so much freer, not worrying about position. Jesus said, you want, you want what life has to offer? Then follow me. Lay down your life for me in service to humanity. Here's a room full of servants right now. They're already assigned a place on this campus, in this community, in this culture. But they're assigned as servants of the Most High God. And so we humbly, we sing and we pray, make us servants. Make me a servant. The calling is sure. We don't need the affirmation of a career. We just want the faithfulness of our Savior. And now as we take the emblems of Calvary, oh, if there's a heart that needs healing from careerism, the disease of careerism right now, let these two emblems be your agency for cleansing and for equipping for the brand new chapter ahead. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus, we pray together. Amen.